So yeah, if you were going to be named after a saint, I mean, what would you know? Francis. Yeah. Done. Maud. The Saint Maud. Yeah. Let's get spooky. Saint. The spooky demon saint. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Saint Flatulence, the uh, the un- the unshaven, um, is who I would pick. I think is that a real one? No, I debate that. I mean, here's the thing: you could just pass it off as a real one, and I don't think you'd <laughs> question it. So Arthur, last week when he was teasing this movie, uh, took us down a real rabbit hole, uh, leading me to believe I should know about this movie uh, <laughs> and this character. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I was vaguely aware of this movie, uh, but it w- wasn't the movie I thought it was, which is Desert Saints with oh. Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> uh, kind of a different movie. Much probably. But basically the same, I think, a yeah. little bit. Yeah, it's, it's a cold-hearted dude, finds love type thing. I had seen it in theaters. Oh, I you was, had? I was employed there oh, at God. the time, and so it was just one of the months I caught, and, yeah. but I hadn't thought about it really since. Since then? At all. I can see why. Nary a bit. <laughs> what, what, what movie is this we're talking about? This is The Saint. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. We gather around a table, we discuss films you'll never discuss, film today's chorus, and this week's film is The Saint, starring Val Kilmer and Elizabeth Shue. Not Melora Walters and Keeper Sutherland, the star of Desert Saints, which I saw on HBO uh, when I was like 14. Yeah, not them, but um, other people instead. Um, and um, Sometimes doing, movies just get squished together in your brain. Doing different, I mean, yeah, it's totally a factor. And this movie is highly forgettable, and so that's probably why it won't find its way into a film studies course, but we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. If you're tuning in to the very, oh, wait, 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 wait. What? what? I am still Dustin. Oh, of course. I'm still Arthur. And I am still Dalton. And we are still talking about this movie um, that we still don't remember what it is. But I will remind you of this, dear listener, um, that we are going to spoil the film that you don't remember nor do you recall i will give a spoiler right now just for fun because i think it is fun there is a heavy that has um long pretty pretty hair who's a russian character yes um i recalled his burns on his face that happens late in the film yeah yeah and i'm like why is this dude's not face not burned why because, is he so pretty because i was like all i remember was burn face um, because that's how little this movie i remembered but, memorable burn face though um but no. oh yes burn face the all forgotten uh member of batman's rogue gallery <laughs> yeah burn face oh, yeah. <laughs> Burnface. Burnface sounds like he could be subbed into just about anybody's rogues gallery. Uh, what he does is he smells his own farts. And uh, he, uh, anyway, anyway uh, Burnface is all I recall. But he's we're only gonna... got one sideburn. <laughs> this is, it's going to be that kind of episode. It makes sense. We are going to avoid spoilers like that one, which is I don't think a significant spoiler in any way. And that's why I went ahead and gave it the front of the show. The way we do this is synopsis, which will be again like a synopsis. So you know that's how much spoiler it'll have. And then we'll have a thumbs up, thumbs down review. You know, like a review. And that'll be how much spoiler it has then we'll sort of get into some semi-academic territory where we're going to talk about films more in the orbit of this film than the film itself which may or may not touch on just the vaguest of spoilers to make those tenuous connections work because that's how we do our syllabi here at the good trash genre cast and then finally we get down to business and then we're not going to care about spoilers anymore um insofar as we don't care to start with and we'll just care less at that point yes indeed we could care less and you'll see that later so there you go dear listener our thoughts are He's punchy today he was acting all tired earlier but he's really we gotta find the energy baby yeah it's it's been a week anyway yeah god has it been a week (laughs) uh we'll talk more about what a fucking week it's been on the next episode that we're recording today met's a hell of a drug moving right along i'm just kidding uh so there you go the Mets. The Mets. The New York Mets. I do hear the Mets are a hell of a drug. Oh, the man. people cheering in them, I guess. I, you know what? If their pitchers would just get on, I've got a fantasy team. And you uh, should get into blaze ball. Do you know about this? Blaze ball. B l a s e ball. Yeah. It's, it's uh, like you, you smoke weed and watch baseball. No, it's, it's blaze ball. That's blaze ball. That's blaze ball. This is a fantasy baseball uh, about fantasy fantasy baseball. That's not a real baseball game. It's just stats that have been thrown together from fake teams. 
I guess the uh, the New York Millennials had a good night last <laughs> night. My friends love this. Uh, I'm just I'm trying to relate to the youth, and I know yeah. this is popular right now. The okay, baseball well, is the baseball is the baseball is yeah. That... It's it, it started you know because of pandemic times, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's got a successful Patreon and stuff. So baseball as is, but more on the numbers and more on the so numbers. Le- but but like <laughs> pe- I mean, who peanut wants peanut allergies are a factor. Pe- like and peanuts are a factor. And like you bet on uh, the rules for the next season. Like it's it's very in depth uh kind of community driven sort of thing it has its own lore that's unwritten um yeah it's it's a whole thing the t- the team names are wacky like the new york millennials uh like mexico city devil no mexico city wild wings oh okay i uh, got you stuff like that yeah oh so like the phoenix avocado toast uh no i mean the the new york one's the only one that's like that on the nose oh i, I, I want the avocado toast uh, there's the a hades team i forget what that one is or just the toasted avocados how do we get down to the, oh the mets the, <laughs> the mets, mets are a hell of a drug and we're back and we're thanks back. for enjoying this podcast within a podcast uh, so we're talking about the saint arthur can you give us a synopsis of the saint i'll and, do my best and not of baseball simon templar is a master thief and a master of disguise the globe-trotting burglar sets his sights on Russian intel, only to get wrapped up in a job with the men he stole from. His new job sees him cross paths with Dr. Emma Russell, who has solved cold fusion. The Russians want her equation. Simon wants her. Can Simon somehow state, state the Russians while keeping the doc out of harm's way? It's just another day at the office for the man they call the saint. Dun-dun-dun, bam we got to do more James Bond music than the uh, Although this uh, has its own score from when it was a TV show that's pretty good. It's a good, good little tune. They kind of save it for the end, but uh, yeah. Well, and they have the fun Falling from Grace song from the 90s that, you know, which was for the oh, se- yeah. for sexy time. Um so yeah. Uh, the 90s when your your sexy times had a a, a pop hit, a soft pop hit. Just right yeah, there. Did you gotta do. Oh, God, the 90s. What a time. What a time. What a time. What a time now. What all time is now. Uh-huh. Uh, that's where we live. So, without any further ado, let's go ahead and do some thumbs up, thumbs down reviewing. I'm going to go to you first, Arthur, and ask you, what do you think of The Saint? The first hour of this movie is insanely fun. Um, as Val Kilmer just runs around putting on increasingly worse disguises and uh, accents. She's so bad. Uh, Alfita Sane. None of his disguises are actually disguises. <laughs> They're usually just a long wig or a mustache it's... or a combination of the two. There's no effort other than that and his unwieldy uh, accents uh, that try to hit a mark somewhere in That's some country. There's a great country. big boa constrictor about to bite my face off. It does give me a new appreciation for uh, the wig work on the Americans. Yeah. Truly. I bet. I mean, truly. Yeah. I, I, I think of the disguises, and you mentioned off-air, uh, the, at the time, fairly recent Mission Impossible, mm. uh, which also uses a lot of disguise work, mm-hmm. um, which is also much better than the disguises that take place in The Saint, a movie completely dependent on a man who uses disguises. And, and does accents. And, and does accents. And not Kilmer's strong suit. On either. Or, or the uh, makeup department either, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. Uh, it is absurd and convoluted and about 17 years too late. Um, it feels, of the time, it feels like a James Bond attempt. It feels like a Mission Impossible knockoff uh, in all of the worst ways. Um, and and yet, from, you you say all these things, but you really dig the first hour. The first hour's fun because it's so ridiculous. I mean... It's it's horrible in all the best ways. It's not good, but it is just a hoot to watch Val Kilmer put on these unwieldy accents, and he's like a having a great a, time, like 
Austrian Lazario and like some Bohemian art student guy. I don't. I don't know. I think the Thomas More guy was supposed to be South African. That's right. I think it's what that he was. Only because the be subtitle said South African accent. Oh, I missed that. Okay, there you go. <laughs> that was very helpful because it wasn't. <laughs> his his uh, Spaniard accent was uh, interesting. Uh, but yeah, after that, uh, he does get to do his Doc Holiday impression again. Um, uh, his best, uh, I think, is uh, the nerdy old doctor. The schlubby guy? Yeah. yeah that's the schlubby the journalist thing. is a great disguise. He's, it's he's his best effort. Yeah, super good, yeah. Um, and then when it delineates into this or devolves into this stock action thriller for the last hour, it becomes so boring uh, and so uninteresting. Uh, it, it does nothing exciting uh, within that premise. Uh, the long-haired ponytail guy looks a lot like Dominic's father from Kindergarten Cop. Uh, <laughs> the bad guy Arnie is yeah, chasing yeah, yeah. Uh, because they have the same haircut. Um, but yeah, I, I think once it delineates into this action thriller, it's just so uninspired. Uh, the relationship between him and Elizabeth Shue is... Problematic to say the yeah, least. Yeah, that's that's a good way to say it. Yes, yeah. she's great though. She's yeah, she's doing what she can. I guess I feel bad for her because mm-hmm. this is a thankless role and she doesn't have a lot to work with. Uh, and you got to feel bad for her here. Uh, and it's weird that they dress her like a schoolgirl for half the movie. Uh, as odd as or great. Yeah. Okay. Well, All right. We'll, a... we'll we'll get to you. I'm attracted to Elizabeth. I am too. We'll get to it's you. It's just weird that she's dressed like a Catholic schoolgirl for a part of the film. Yeah, also, yeah, the opening... She's Catholic. The opening... Arthur, the opening. I, I text you guys that the opening of this movie is a wild. I was not prepared. It is... I've never seen... I'm just going to spoil it because yeah, they kill an orphan girl. They it, kill a little orphan Opening Annie. five minutes, ten minutes? Yeah. yeah. They throw her from a balcony inside of a building at this Catholic orphanage. Truly buckwild stuff. One of the wildest things I've ever seen in a movie. I've. I, I, it's rare to see a kid killed, but to have one just killed so... Uh, yeah, nonchalantly without shot reason buck wild too. yeah again you don't get a lot of child death in film period you really don't get it in big studio movies like this no and the way they shoot it is nuts uh so yeah that's a thing that happened i forgot about that till just now because that was the wildest thing about this movie uh when i text you guys immediately when i was watching it that that was so crazy. Although the the Elizabeth Shue uh dress as a Catholic schoolgirl connection now does seem like some very uh, ill-advised attempt to draw some psychological <laughs> connections. connections within the film. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's bad. Uh, it's it's pretty pretty terrible. Uh, and forgettable. And I apologize for choosing it, but once in a while we have to have fodder for the Hebrew Hammer, and uh, now we have it for the Swim Fan Award of the Year. The yeah, s- the Swim Fan of the Year. Very good, very good. Well, thank you for that, Arthur Gordon. What do you think, Dalton? Um, I think you're. You know, opinion may be clear at this point, but go ahead and clarify uh, a little further. I think I might be a little bit warmer than Arthur. I agree that with everything Arthur said, like, fully. And yet, I am even more charmed by the first hour of this movie than him, I think. Because, yeah, I'm on I'm on its wavelength. I the It strains credulity at every step along the way. And, and yet, like, the internal logic within the film is fairly sound. Like, it's stupid as hell. But, like, I, I really dig the procedural element of the first, you know... Uh, you know, following spy movie convention, we kind of have a cold open prologue of, of just a day, at, as Arthur said, a day at the office. Uh, and I kind of like the procedural elements of like not just how the theft goes, but then like how the fencing goes and uh, that whole thing. It is sad to see Emily Mortimer just, you know, barely used, barely well used and then left by the film. But that's, it was it was nice to see. It's always nice to see Emily Mortimer, one of the greats. Uh, yeah, I'm very charmed by that cold open. I'm I'm very charmed by. I'm gonna take a stab at this name because I like the actor a whole lot. Uh, Rade Serbegia. 
probably oh, way that off. old Russian guy that's yeah, always that old Russian that guy? great character actor. Yeah, he shows up in a, a lot of stuff playing this kind of role. But I don't know. I, he, there's a lot of meat on this. It definitely is. Uh, uh, feels like a Putin analog. Uh, obviously, even in the late '90s, we were already uh, dealing with Western fears of that cat. But uh, I'm, I'm interested. There's other uh, people you could draw comparisons to. But you know, character that we've seen a lot in the history of film, and I think he's great. I think he's wonderful. Uh, and I, I'm uh, a, a lot warmer on Elizabeth Shue uh, than, than Arthur, I think. Maybe uh, I'm so won over by how much she makes of what little she has. Uh, I don't know. She, she feels like a, you know, a movie character. She doesn't feel like a real lived person, but there's a charm to her. They, she plays eccentric very well. Uh, I, I think she's believable in the ways that matter, even when the film has her being just having to do dumb stuff. I, I like her a lot. And again, we'll come finally to Val. I think he's having a great time. And sometimes that's enough. If your lead really believes in the material, it doesn't always matter how good they are at it. And uh, I think this movie's a, a good showcase for that. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I, I am in agreement with Arthur. It's the last hour, and I don't even think it's a... Is it a full two hours? I think it might... It's right not, there. Is it? It's right there. Okay, yeah, I agree. That's just whole second half is wacky and apparently related to uh, some reshoot stuff that happened uh, after they, they did some test screenings where they killed Elizabeth Shue off in like the second act of the movie yeah yeah exactly so they kind of had to retool the entire second half of the movie i guess and it shows in a big way not that i think that original uh direction is great either but yeah it turns into a revenge action movie in the the third act who needs it glad we changed it but it didn't, didn't save the movie unfortunately Fair enough, fair enough. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What I'm going to say about this movie is it is fine but forgettable. Is And it's okay for movies to be fine, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it is. It's it's fine. It does have an internal logic, as you say, Arthur, and so everything makes sense. Or Dalton. That was me. Whomever says. Uh, as one of you here at the table said in my ears. <laughs> Our analysis was as forgettable as the movie. Yeah, there you well, have it. Well, I mean, it was just, you know, yourselves. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, for, I remembered what you said, just not who said it, uh, which is kind of worse. Anyway, uh, Val Kilmer's having a good time. Elizabeth Shue's great. Uh, and I, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm glad at least, you know, she She's and Emily Mortimer are easy on the seen, eyes uh... because otherwise... Have you have you watched any of the Amazon Primes of the boys? No. Oh, she's she's the heavy uh, in season <sighs> one. Yeah, nice. that's going to do a lot for you, unfortunately. Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to hear about it on the show. Uh, um, I have a type. They're called women, uh, and uh, you know, she's one well, of them. This fucking this guy to this week, I tell you, <laughs> I just I know being, I love you. Being silly, uh, I, I'm trying to bring energy to something I just don't care about. I can tell that's really what it comes down to. Is I just don't care. I just okay, fine, great. The master thief stole the thing and got away with it. And there are things that could be so much more interesting. The geopolitics of a Russia post the fall mm-hmm. of the Soviet Union. Give me more of that. You know, the dealing with an issue around coal fusion and energy for the world and free energy and, and the, the the whole you know world of uh, industrial espionage and uh, that kind of stuff. Like, uh, there you really have it. They put a lot of really interesting pieces on the board. Val Kilmer has a joke about uh, former communists being capitalists and how that's taken the heart of the country. Like, yeah, there's a lot of interesting pieces they yeah. do nothing with. I mean, you know, just the, 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 the nesting dolls of various characters that he's playing, you yeah. know, as he's putting on his costume. I don't know who I am. Who's the real me? Right. I mean, there, there there's all 
kinds of stuff that could be fascinating. I mean, just playing with the idea of, uh, you know, sort of this Catholic uh, bit of iconography using the saints and the various traits of the saints and, you know, a tortured soul finding redemption. Like, that could be a cool movie in this guy being a thief. But that's not the movie that we got. And so, despite the fact it's shot fine, uh, despite the fact I do love some of the 90s needle drops, you know, we've already mentioned them, uh, that, that's fun and fine. And I, I think it's, the sound mixing is actually quite well good. Um, I, I listened to it on headphones and I was like, all right, you guys are doing some things here. Like, there's some effort being placed in this film with that, and uh, which is, you know, something I don't ordinarily always notice. And so uh, there are things that are put together well, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to remember this movie in a week. I'm just not. And uh, that's that's really where it's failing, uh, is that it's it's got a lot of things that could be really interesting, but it sort of just name drops and moves on. And uh, so now I just say, there's a saint. Let's move on. I name dropped, and I moved on. Moving on, as we do then, let's expand the syllabus. You're going to use this movie in a class. Um, what else? Um, oh, not instead. What else are you going to use to expand the syllabus? I'm going to go to you first, Dalton. What do you say? Well, uh, as we have all discussed, this movie does kind of live and die on uh, the commitment of Val Kilmer. Um, for whatever shortcomings it does have, it, it largely succeeds thanks to him and also Elizabeth Shue. I, I think it really, again, a, a case for actors carrying a movie. So we will return to the well uh, and we'll be doing a screen or uh, a screen study of an actor this week. We're going to be talking about Val. It's all Val all the time, baby. Uh, what what an interesting career and uh, apparently uh, difficult uh, performer uh, by all accounts. Uh, I think we'll probably be looking at that often when uh, you know we, I, I pitch uh, an actor study class. We definitely do look at kind of uh, how the arc of their career is affected by celebrity, the business of making movies, and I think this is going to be a, a great one to look at. Well, we're going to be starting with Real Genius, which I I like that movie a lot. Uh, I was on cable at the time when I was a kid. I haven't watched it as an adult. I don't know how I would feel about it now, but uh, soft spot in my heart, and uh, you know his kind of first starring role playing the coolest guy on campus who's also a lazy genius. It's fun stuff. Uh, obviously, we're going to look at uh, his scenes from Top Gun. We're not going to watch the whole movie. He's not hardly in it at all. True. But we've got to get that teeth click, y'all. Uh, because I, I think he is a fun actor in that regard. He's, he's again, look, accents are not his strong suit. He's got one or two really good ones, and the rest are kind of, you can tell he wishes he was better. And I respect that. I like to do accents, and I'm bad at them. Um, so, you know, I feel for the guy, uh, but we will be kind of looking at those sorts of things, the teeth click, uh, the, the Southern draw that becomes so famous because Tombstone will kind of obviously be a, a big featured, uh, movie. We'll probably talk about extensively, uh, falls right in the middle of his career. Uh, I don't know that we'll talk about the doors or Willow. Uh, I don't know that era of his career really well. I would have to kind of have studied up a little bit more, but again, I think that early nineties Tombstone, Batman forever, Heat uh, is kind of, a a real hell of a run, but then we immediately hard pivot into the island of Dr. Moreau and uh, the ghost in the darkness and the saint, uh, which apparently uh, he he left a, a potential Batman for for this, the saint. Uh, and again, we got to talk about the saint because of how much fun he's having. And it, I think, does make a fun parallel from that, that really huge arc of like, boom, 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 huge movies. Everybody loved him. Uh, you know, People don't talk about what a big deal Batman Forever was. You know, I think it's got that kind of critical resurgence. You know, we talked very lovingly of it when we discussed it several years ago now at this point. But, uh, you know, I think we've kind of the cultural memory on that one is short, but it was big merchandising for that one everywhere. Uh, and I, don't know, I feel like it kind of that that aesthetic of that movie 
kind of loomed large for a little bit. We will then kind of close out the arc of his career. I don't think we're going to go all the way to his very weird appearance in a very kind of tragic appearance in The Snowman. Is that what that movie's called? You know what? I've been in my head like, going to throw that to you as a joke. Like, yeah. Are, we gonna, are you going to talk about The Snowman? And then in my head I was like, is that the title of that movie? Is it the title of the movie? I think so. With Harry Hole? Yeah, with Harry yeah. Hole. The Harry Hole movie. Yeah. God, is it the snowman? So. We're not gonna. Yeah, he's got. He's yeah. dubbed over though because he'd had his throat surgery. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't. Even, I don't. Exactly. I, I, I literally do not remember. They've done him over though, with some. Right? Yeah, they dubbed him over some Tom Berenger sounding guy. Right. That that Michael Fassbender stars in that one, right? Yes, Correct. Okay. That's the one. Yeah. So, okay. The movie wasn't a fever dream. We did watch it for the show. <laughs> okay, it happened. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we're no, we're not going to go there, but we're going to end. I think on a on an uplifting note, we'll end around Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Probably we might even do the direct to DVD movie Felon, which I think he's really quite good in uh despite it not being a very good movie uh but again it's an interesting career especially when you look at uh, the fall we haven't really talked about in our fictional actor studies i don't think we've ended on somebody or had somebody whose career is kind of in a downturn you know we usually you know we've done Shirley's. you know we've, I, i'm looking at you arthur because you and i are the act the ones that usually do an actor study well, yeah. Gina Davis is sort of done. Yeah, you know, she's I think not, that's a good she's, pick. she's not working anymore, but she wouldn't really have a downturn. Yeah, in yeah that, exactly. That wasn't a syllabus thing, but that was a marathon that focused on, yeah, an actress that, sadly, her career kind of, she had a certain age, obviously, well, and that's yeah. how it goes in Hollywood. Be, especially during that time period. Yeah. And yeah, pivots more towards a uh, different aspect of film. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's somebody kind of like, well, I'll make a career pivot, as opposed to somebody who just like keeps trying just yeah. keeps i know we talked about dr volta once who's kind of had those ups yeah, and downs that's true yeah. yeah that's true uh but again I, I think he's especially just with the talk of what working with him is like i think it would be interesting to ferret out as many of those stories as possible uh which you know is kind of a, a weird thing to pitch for an academic class but i think there's value in finding that sort of primary source stuff especially if you're talking about the business of making movies uh but yeah we'll probably end with you know kiss kiss bang bang or mcgruber uh, we won't do the last 10 years, uh, but I, I think ending somewhere where he has like a weird, uh, you know, supporting role or, a, you know, villain role. I think I think that's a fun place to end for him because he seems to have fun in those. I think, you know, he almost entered a and Val Kilmer phase of his career that could have been really interesting if he hadn't you know had to deal some health issues and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I still hope for a future in which Same, um, yeah. Val Kilmer is like a heavy in a Marvel movie. Kind that would thing. be interesting. Yeah, recurring kind uh, of thing. I did forget. We're definitely going to watch the documentary um, the uh, about the making of the Island of Doctor Monroe. We got to. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We got to. I haven't seen it. It's it's. I uh, saw it. Brando's crazy. Have no. you seen the documentary? The doc? No, no. I'm at I'm a doc. Yeah, no, I'm talking about the documentary. Oh yeah. no, I've seen yeah Moreau, not the documentary. Yeah, you've seen the doc though. No, I've seen the movie. Ah, okay, damn. Well, none of us have seen the doc. We should catch up with it. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it comes up as soon as you, you Google the film. Dustin. Uh, it's not your turn yet. Arthur, what's uh, your syllabus going to look like? <laughs> Take yeah. my job and do it wrong, see? <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. I'm trying to frame, figure out how I want to frame this. It's either frame, frame. Uh, it's either going to be uh, a genre class, or it could be a fun way to do it, like an intro to film class that's focused on a specific genre. Okay. Uh, and this would probably be a heist slash uh, cat burglars uh, direction? Yeah, no, I, I was keeping an eye on your letterbox this week, and you did yeah, some homework for this I, I one. I did. It was it was fun to kind of get something else in your mind besides the saint. Um, <laughs> and so I think I, I think almost an intro to film type of course using genre would be a fun way to kind of approach that. Uh, I want to start with To Catch a Thief, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's To Catch a Thief with Cary Grant and one of the Hitchcock blondes I can't remember right now. Uh, that's Grace Kelly. Thank you. Um, and probably talk a bit about studio filmmaking and you know, tourism. Uh, I think that's a weird 
good place where those two interact is intersect is in Hitchcock's filmography, obviously. Uh, and I think that's my starting point uh, for that. From there, I'd move into Thief, uh, Michael Mann's Thief with James Caan. Ah, so good. Um, and talk about, I think, design, uh, lighting, and, and style, and visual style. Totally. Like Michael Mann, obviously, I think, sets the stage for the 80s in a lot of ways. Yeah, we've talked about that on the show a little yeah. bit, I think. And so I, I think I'd talk about that with Thief. Also, I think some of the plot beats parallel what's happening in The Saints somewhat. Uh, um, so I, I, I would go there next. After that, I would follow up, I think, with The Thomas Crown Affair, um, the remake from 99 with uh, Brosnan and Rene Russo, and talk about the visual style, I think, of the 90s. Mm. Uh, that's a movie that has uh, a very 70s feel in, as far as the way the narrative is paced, and you've got two, I think, kind of classic-looking uh, movie stars in the leads, obviously, um, but there's also this 90s sensibility to the way it's shot, the way it looks. It's got this kind of grandiose sweeping uh, shots of New York and these islands. It's got a great look to it. And so I think McTiernan there uh, really kind of... Oh, that's a McTiernan joint. Yeah. Uh, marries the best of both of those worlds in a really fun way. Uh, and so that's where I'd want to go. Probably a little intertextuality as well and kind of talk about that because you got Faye Dunaway uh, in the remake who's obviously playing, I think, the Bruno Russo role in the original uh, so there's a fun connection there. So you can kind of get into intertextuality and how films uh, talk to one another through time, uh, by, through casting or uh, locations or things of that nature. Uh, from there, I would talk about Robot and Frank. Um, I think I would get into uh, indie filmmaking, kind of the post-Miramax world. Uh, I forgot know. that was a heist movie. I just yeah. remembered it was about a robot in Frank Langella. Yeah, I yeah. do remember he's an, a former burglar in yeah. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so he gets the robot to help him. Uh, That's so good. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and it's really endearing and kind of heartfelt and tragic. Uh, but uh, it's got that very, I guess, late 2000s, early 2010s indie mm. feel about it. I mean, I think I say that, and it's very yeah, sparks Yeah, you say that, I knew idea. exactly what you meant. Yeah. yeah, Lars and the Real Girls, another one that has that very indie feel i mean the way it's shot the the cast there's a definite look and vibe yeah. to that era and so i've independent filmmaking i think sure. talking about independent filmmaking post 2000s after you know sundance really kicks it off in the late 80s and, and every indie the movie that, has at least one yeah. marquee name in it yeah know? and so i think in the 2000s it even kind of becomes even more almost class uh, genreified yeah we've cla- talked about that a little bit on the show if i you know if, Frequent or long listeners have, have listened before. Yeah, there is this weird moment there. Codization is what I'm the ah, word I'm looking for. Yeah. There you go. There's codified. Yeah, yeah. Codified. The way it looks it has a very yeah. certain look and a very certain uh, narrative beats and kind of a certain humor and and the line gets weird too yeah. between like studio and indie, right? Yeah, because this this is a Samuel Goldman film, which is I think their indie imprint, mm. similar to Fox Searchlight. Sure. Uh, and so I think talking about some of that would be would be a lot of fun. And then from there, finally, I want to go with uh, Ocean's Eight. And I would talk about legacy sequels and franchise reboots. And that's kind of where I'd probably slip in The Saint and start talking about franchises and um, trying to reboot those and capitalize on existing IPs and what that looks like and how that doesn't often work or when it does work, what does success look like. Um, and so I think that's where I would end the class. Those with the Ocean's 8 slash The Saint uh, double feature. That's a damn good intro to film class. Thank you. That'd be a lot of fun. I, I'm all about that. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. It uh, is, in fact, your turn now, Dustin. Oh, thank you. Um, so I think what I would use The Saint for is within a class maybe on uh, performance itself. 
And so you'd have different modules on different kinds of performers okay. and performances. And so, I mean, obviously in this kind of class, my dream section would be the Bruce Lee and, uh, you know, martial arts performance section. Yeah. Um, that would be one of the things, you know, so in, in the larger 16-week version of the class. There's a physicality portion, yeah. Right. Um, and so, but what I would be, what I would use the Saint along with uh, or in a module uh, would be about those transformational kind of performances nice. in which uh, actors use a lot of makeup, they use a lot of accents, and they really sort of try to find their way into different kinds of characters. And I think the Saint is interesting because it's got that hodgepodge there, but it's got the callback to Doc Holliday from Tombstone. So Tombstone is probably more what I would lean into, but I would think we could talk about Val Kilmer um, as one of these actors who maybe is making an attempt here that's less successful, although there are moments in which uh, he's very, very successful with doing that kind There's of work. There's a, a useful tool out there for this class uh, for you. Uh, I think it's Wired did a series of interviews with a dialect coach or a dialect expert. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're really, there's like four or five of them now. There's quite a few. Uh, they even deal a little bit with, you know, invented languages uh, in that uh, series that they did with this guy. But yeah, it just kind of looks at different performances, kind of talks about what they're doing, how successfully they're doing it. Uh, talks about you know rhotic versus non rhotic accents. So yeah, there's there's a lot of mileage to be had in that that kind of vein. Right, and and so I would do something like that. I think we would use Doug Jones as another you know sort of under under mm. appreciated performer within this makeup performance makeup performances specifically there. And I think Doug Jones would be interesting to think about um, and just what uh, he does uh, with that. I think also uh, the other Batman, uh, uh, Christian Bale. Is oh, yeah. really able, you know, in body performances, body dialects, performance, too. dialects, uh, losing weight, gaining weight, uh, the ways in which he's able to. Again, I'm, I'm thinking about particularly his performance in Vice, where he really sort of inhabits yeah. the character of Dick Cheney. Um, that's that's really interesting, and also what he does with American Hustle, which is a different character, also. And so his abilities there, and then of course the creme de la creme, the sort of way in which you conclude this class with the best example is Meryl Streep, and just looking at several of her performances, and you know, when she uses just a nose or a chin alongside just her ability to sort of inhabit these yeah. different kinds of dialects, affects versus uh, dialects too with her, which is really mm -hmm. interesting. Like uh, uh, I'm specifically thinking of like Devil Wears Prada and. Um, Oh God! What's the the one about the Pentagon Papers? Uh, the Post. Oh yeah, the uh, Post, both yeah. of those. You know, she's doing like an accent's a strong word for what she's doing because it's kind of like a regional dialect, but it's not like a real hard accent. Like it's somebody who's both characters that seem to have like worked over an accent, but it's like very mannered speaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's so so fascinating in, in that regard. I see why you'd want to end with her. And so yeah, just sort of like invest yourself in the ways in which performance, you know, and and the, what you know again, Doug Jones does very different things as Abe Sapien as he does maybe in Shape of Water as sure. he does, you know, and like that little scary vampire thing he does in that episode of Buffy. You well, know? you've got a circus too if you want to dip into you know mocap versus mm -hmm. uh, yeah. makeup. Yeah. And so uh, that's that's where I would kind of go, just like accurately transformation. It would be like a, a sort of like a mini module within a, a, a broader class on performance and classical performance, the Oscar role, you know, et cetera. I love that. But yeah, that's that, I think that's how I would approach using the saint. And the only way I could really find a way to make much use of it. Well, hey, I think we all did a great job of finding ways to use this film. So uh, I, I hope so. But let's move on, though, and let's get down to business. Yes, business. Okay, let's talk about themes. Um, let's make some up, shall we? Yeah, let's prove that you can, in fact, talk about this uh, very forgettable uh, '90s joint in an academic manner. Shall That's we? what we made our name on. That's what we. Yeah. So, Is there anything to psychoanalysis? We've talked about the Catholic schoolgirl stuff. We've talked about. Jeez. 
the opening of this film, which kind of correlates with that costuming later on. It's traumatic, but the trauma the traumatic itself is not the is not all that sexualized. I mean, he's definitely stealing his first kiss, but it's it's a very heroic kind of turn there, and it's got a lot of that sort of religious abuse thing going along with it. Not that psychoanalysis has nothing to say about it, but generally that drapery doesn't work there, you know. And and so they kind of begin with this sort of boyhood trauma of uh, being forced with a name that's not your own mm-hmm. um, as an orphan. And uh, therefore, you know, you have to sort of take this on. And it sort of manifests itself in this weird kind of neurosis in which he is all the time taking on different names of different characters. And again, yeah, a, sort of, a lack of, like, formation of ego in some way. Yeah. yeah. There, there is no concrete self-identity. Right. And that's that's interesting, but that is kind of, you're right, the limit of what they do with trauma in this film. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting to sort of play in with a, a narrative place where you put in the name of the father mm. and have a father character arrive you know that that to sequelize this you know Ooh, i don't know that might be a misstep though right because well, for this movie maybe yeah because yeah. it's already got such hinky origin story energy going on yeah i think adding that that element i don't know you're, you're right though there might be something there but but also just i mean it's, make it sexier i mean just ma- you know make him more obsessive you know give him a fetish you know those 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 are <laughs> I, I, I'm, if, I, if you want to engage with that aspect yeah, yeah I, I gotcha and i think those are possibilities but i i do think it's um it, it it sort of opens as you say arthur it opens up the potential for but there's not really this id versus ego mm. thing yeah. you know, where he's out of control. Well, I will say, since we're here uh, talking about the sexiness of this film, I think there is some like element of conflict, right, that is, I, I feel like, sold more or less convincingly for him. Uh, and also Elizabeth Shue. Like, Elizabeth Shue sells, like, being, like, very mad about the situation and not... Uh, uh, falling ill to his charms like right away again right like it is far into the film when she kind of comes back around it's like okay like she actively tries to get away from him constantly uh like it doesn't feel like a uh an immediate switch what's the there's a couple of movies that kind of famously have uh, a kind of kidnap relationship and the kidnapping like um, i think three days of the condor is a big one uh, well with that Clooney um jennifer lopez movie we just did. oh shit out, out of sight, sight. Yeah, yeah that's another one. Yeah. A perfect example yeah. a, a film that does its best to sell that, and I think does very well. Mm-hmm. Um, probably better than this film, but I think this film does kind of convincingly sell Shoe, and Shoe sells convincingly that she's not uh, immediately back into this. And Kilmer does a pretty good job, I feel like, uh, before they even like consummate their uh, their burgeoning relationship. Like, there's a very clear like desire to like I gotta extricate myself from this situation. I'm making all kinds of dumb moves here, uh, so I don't. I, that's there, right? That conflict. Uh, but you, there's not really anything done with it other than that, you know, again, as we've talked about these great performances, the actors sell it, but the movie doesn't really seem interested in what's going on with that relationship. At yeah, all. yeah. I do think there's another sort of Hollywood trope that we can think about as well, and that is the sort of, you know, fall in Russia after the Soviet Union. You know, obviously, I made a note about that myself, yeah. The Soviet Union have been heavies throughout the 80s as just bad guys, you know, with a finger on a nuclear button and... Mm-hmm you know, authoritative and oppressive regime and those kind of things. But what happens in the 90s and what generally happens in cinema is as far as exotic locales and settings... Rush is back, baby, yeah. Uh, what they what they tend to do, though, is, is to pl- point out, you know, there's corruption and there's mm. crime and there's all this sort of, you know, ne- you know the oil shortage that's going on, uh, you know, which is one of the plot beats of the film... It, it it it's a weird conservative impulse to say that if there is a corrupt government, if there is something broken in a system, and the people will do whatever they do in order to take power and establish democracy or to establish a new constitution, or they go about some that 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 power vacuum is always portrayed as 
utter chaos. Oh, always. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were talking off air. It's, I, this feels weird to interject this. We were talking about The Legend of Korra off air a little bit. And, as one does. Yeah. And the third season of this has Henry Rollins, you know, as a character that's an anarchist. And the same, yeah. It's the same thing. Like, depictions of a, a lack of hierarchy are always depicted as, like, an opportunity for uh, complete and utter chaos. Which, you know, there is some historical truth to that. Like, as you're talking about the 90s and, and Russia. Sure. Uh, we talked about, you know, those depictions when we did K-19. Right. But one thing we didn't talk about that is... Uh, well, I'm not saying there is a Russian mob, but if there were a Russian mob, uh, they're in Hollywood movies a lot in the 90s as bad guys, as heavies. Right. And that's kind of a, another aspect of that corruption you're talking about and the, that door being open for organized crime to fill that power vacuum is, is a huge theme uh, when, in, as far as Russian depictions in Western cinema go. Well, I would say you know you can still do the same with the South American nation. You could do the same sure. with the Middle Eastern I just mean in the 90s, this yeah. era you're talking about specifically after the fall of the Soviet Union, it kind right. of is a huge... But yeah, lots of countries and parts of the world get the same depiction. I'm curious, I just... I was going to make a joke earlier, but um, <laughs> if there's not a 9-11, mm. how much longer is Russia our primary antagonist in these sorts of films? Well, there was a 9-11, uh, and I, I have remembered. Uh, we, we, don't have, we don't have that problem anymore. Yeah, uh, but, you know, the Eastern Promises, right? Like, that's kind of what I'm thinking about, mm-hmm. uh, especially you know, there's a lot of other London-centric movies where that, that aspect of Russian oligarchs and Russian mobsters kind of infiltrating other organized crime, uh, you know, basically doing a organized crime colonization. Um, you know, we still have that, right? And I, I so I think, and that's, what, 2008 that movie comes out? Uh, and, you know, that's a UK, Canadian, US co-production. But I still think Russians, and, and have continued to factor as heavies. Like, right, there is a, uh, oh, God, it's so rare I get to get on my soapbox about the, these these damn Democrats, huh? Uh, but these dipshits uh, are, are obsessed with, like, continuing a, a narrative of, of antagonistic Russia, which, you know, Russia is antagonistic. There's That's kind of their whole deal. Uh, right. They fucking hate working with people on, on at a... Uh, uh, you know, international level. That's just kind of their jam. And understandably so. Parts of the world have constantly tried to take them over uh, unsuccessfully. Uh, but uh, it is, uh, uh, I don't know, it's still part of the culture, right? Like, it never stopped. Uh, it just kind of mutated into a different, more interesting thing, I guess, is what I was getting at. Yeah, I, I, what I'm I'm trying to sort of lay out here is a little bit of ideology critique here, mm-hmm. that there's a, there's a fundamentally conservative uh, usage here of these fallen, you know, governments. Yeah, totally. That that points to but the maxim, but you have to, you have to have us. Yeah, you yeah, have you, to have us at the top. You have to have us at the top, and the maxim better the devil you know. So if you sure. identify any corruption, if you identify any sort of you know broken parts of a system, you know reform, change, you know whatever. Uh, but don't you know? Don't scrap large sections of what you've got because then what you'll end up having is going to be disastrous. People starving in the streets, and you know. God, it really is weird that we're uh, watching Dogs this Dogs and movie. cats living together. Mass hysteria. Yeah, yeah it's uh, fun to be talking about this after a week of political conventions. Holy crap. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but this is exactly the thing, right? Like, in anything other than the status quo will lead to mass hysteria. Yeah, ma- yeah. That because, you know, this, you know, again, Russia, the Soviet Union was terrible, you know, or Nazi Germany was terrible, but at least the trains ran on time. And this idea that, you know, if you lose this, you're going to lose your trains, and you're going to lose, you know, your your food supplies or or whatever and it's gonna again be utterly disastrous that there's no way when you could argue conditions are already utterly disastrous right 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 now specifically but anytime really right so uh, i just i I sort of identify a little bit of conservatism that's going on there well well, and as you know we talked about there is 
it's it's a disappointing through line that they don't really pick up on, right? Because uh, you know, Val Kilmer does specifically talk about this. Like, this is not stuff we're reading into the film. Like, it is kind of there within the text, right? Like, he he is talking about a a nation, and again, this is not a movie made by anybody. You know, the only Russians are the actors, right? Uh, as far as we know. But the the viewpoint of this film, right, is that this the soul of this country, what, what, however you felt about Soviet communism, uh, it ha- it meant something, right? It was about something, uh, and, and he kind of makes this offhanded comment about this shift to capitalism, just like being disastrous uh, for uh, the people of this country, as far as you know, uh, people wanting to take advantage of them, right? and that's mm-hmm. kind of how he talks about. Uh, Tranik, what is his name? The character, uh, yeah, that that T word. Yeah, who, who, not important. The Russian bad guy, that Troika Tyrell. <laughs> he has a corporation. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. He he does as you've been talking about. Doesn't like it's right there. I, I wish I'd written the exact line down. Um, but you know, it, it is the crux of the movie, right? And the crux of many movies from this period, right? Like some. A rogue element within the new Russian Federation, either uh, criminals or you know ultranationalists who want a, a restoration to former glory. It, it's it's been there from the fall, right? It's it's just been kind of a factor of like I think our general fear of Russia as as a Western world. I'm just kind of going to lump you know North America and Europe together, which is dicey at best, but I mean that is kind of the way that those nation states are pitted against each other when we talk about Russia. I feel yeah. like. Well, and I think it's just interesting how, um, you know, nationalistic ideology works, you know, eats its own tail. So nationalistic mm. ideology in the 80s is the Russians are bad. The government must fall, right? They must, they must, they must. But also, once governments start falling, people begin to think, hey, you know what? Governments are not permanent. They can not last, and they can be replaced, and we could do something else, and, and we could revise documents and, you know, find other ways to do local governments. And then suddenly that same rhetoric at that same nation becomes, but... Now that this fall has happened, now it's utterly disastrous, and they're, they're, they're bad guys, but they're still bad guys in a different way, because we don't want to be too comfortable with this idea of, again, regime replacement in any kind of way. And, and so the same uh, nation becomes the source of the negative example before the coup that it is after the coup. And again, that that's... Because we don't, we're, we're we're nervous if people start saying, "Oh yeah, that was great that that government fell." Isn't it a good thing? Sometimes government should fall. What an excellent idea! Well, it kind of, uh, I mean, really does tie in. We're kind of way off track on, on the saint now, but I feel like we're having fun, so let's continue this line of thought. Uh, it, it does feed into a lot of uh, Hollywood depictions of just uh, cultural history. I guess is the only way I can think to word it. Uh, but just like, uh, yeah, Egypt just it, pyramids. Right, we've talked about this a lot on the show. I think maybe we got to do it on Independence Day or something with the you know the everybody celebrating around the the world in their ethnic costumes of you know the national dress, just just real dumb uh, across the board Hollywood ninety shit. Um, but like even even that, those weird cutaway, like that type of visual film language, like bleeds into the culture, uh, and it is I don't know, it feels related to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. This idea of we can't talk about the fact that these these countries these regions these peoples have gone through a millennia plus multiple millennia of you know changes like it makes this new part of the the political world uh, i'm not gonna call it a new part of the world because that's a head-ass thing to do uh but this as far as organized i fuck not even organized gotta give props to the iroquois confederacy if you're listening to the show you know what i'm talking about it's mm-hmm. a it's a 200 year old country that makes a damn bunch of movies and is really uncomfortable thinking about the other countries in the world and how many different governments they've had 
Uh, and yeah, it feels connected in this way of just like, yeah, it's it's Russia. Everybody's got the hats on. Yeah, you know the right. deal. The furry hat. Yeah, yeah, the, the Brits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Celts. Who are those people? No, it's just uh, it's just uh, you know. Big Ben. That's what it is. Right. Not Protestants and Catholics or any other of those other you yeah. know, nuances of conversation. Right. Germany, what's that? The, you're you're going to talk about a literal thousands and thousands of years where it wasn't a unified place? No, 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 no. It's it's the place with the sausages and the mm-hmm. beers. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I don't know. It all feels connected. And this movie's depiction of Russia feels about that thin. Right. Uh, to kind of stay on the political stuff in this movie, we have this... Uh, and talking about vacuums and power, right? We've got this underground uh, gal, Frankie. Is that her name? She's got a fun name, I feel like. Uh, it is Frankie. It is Frankie. Yeah, this character who is uh, some sort of political radical uh, that is helping move whoever she deems necessary. Uh, and it is interesting to see this opposite end of the power vacuum that exists in a, a newly uh, changed government. Right. Well, and I think the move here in the in the movie that is interesting in the, the the discussion of communism and socialism, which was a failure, you know, that the movie you know you know declares. You know, of course, it doesn't make nuances nuances between authoritarianism versus like a democratic socialism, but we'll let that well, slide. We can't aside. ever do that, Dustin. Let's just not even because the movie doesn't go there. We're not going to go there. But, Absolutely. But the movie does, in fact, make an argument for something that is, you know, popularly owned and popularly controlled in terms of energy production. That that is a better way to deal with things, uh, and you know, to, to to screw a you know corporate you know conglomerate in order to do that. And so there is a way in which, uh, again, sort of a state owned or at least a people owned, I would not say state owned uh, industry or you know, basic utility. That's being provided here in terms of power. Especially if we're talking about our plot being centered on cold fusion. You know, Mm -hmm. theoretical, clean, free energy, right? Like abundant, perfect uh, planet saver. Uh, Having the the central conflict of the film being about a private entity wanting to uh, obtain this new technology is, you know, just a thing that happens every damn day. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just, you know, I I guess, you know, the movie doesn't do much with it other than, you know, we have free energy and we've done the right thing and we've made something free for the world. But it doesn't really sort of get in the uh, nuance again of those questions. Like, what does it mean to have, you know, maybe What what does this do? Power. Because Elizabeth Shue wants it to be free, right? She's ready to just give the damn thing away, even though uh, Val Kilmer wants to, you know, sell it, and then they can retire to a beach somewhere. Right, make millions. But he's willing to give it up because of the power of love, right? Um, And Huey Lewis uh, kicks up in our background. Uh, You could argue a a powerful agape love for all of humanity will want you to give away that damn cold fusion. Right. But who am I? I'm just some dipshit. Um, let us indeed talk about the power of love. Um, Shall we? I, I, well, I think it's a thing, you know. And uh, I mean, the movie does. There's a there's a there's a cutesy thing here. Um, she's got a heart problem, right? Oh but God, towards the I end of the movie, she doesn't have a heart stupid. problem anymore because you know her stupid, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> it's it, it is it's adorable. The most trite '90s bullshit. I hate it. Ah, yeah. yeah. Um, so while you're down there, somebody who loves love. Don't get me wrong. I love love. A lot. Uh, I'm a sap. Uh, I've cried everything. I hate this. This is dumb. This is just... The the romance in this film feels so broken. I know we touched on it earlier, but it's just... These two have chemistry. I'm not going to say they don't. It's not like a lot. Uh, It's fine. Again, they're both great in this, but this just... I don't know. It feels so thin. Well, and it's problematized by the fact that he you know, yeah, sort of manipulates her. And... Like, yeah, I snuck into her apartment, I figured out how she ticks, and I know exactly what kind of guy to be in order to perform <laughs> romance. Uh, that's a violation, yeah. yeah that's yeah. not good. And, and then after having done so... An assault, by, honestly. He's a stalker. Uh, yeah. you know. Somehow he is, you know, that's that's closer to his one true core of who he really is, I guess. Deceives and... his way into her bed. Uh, Val Kilmer did write the poetry, though. 
Which oh, is, yeah. He did write the poetry himself. Yeah, of course he did. Which is, I mean, not of terrible poetry. Of course he did. It's it's cute. It's very, it's a very, I don't know, that's a great 90s movie star thing to do. I love that <laughs> shit. It's better than sending a rat to your coworkers. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Or feces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just don't do it. Do we got anything else we want to touch on? I do. I'm glad you brought up the love because it's, I don't know, it feels very paint by numbers, just classic movie bullcrap. Well, I was wondering if there's anything to production. You kind of brought something up off air, but you know, this falls in the late '90s mm, and kind yeah. of a series of of these uh, franchise adaptations where Hollywood was really digging into both trying to capitalize not only on existing television IPs but also, I think, nostalgia. Then we start kind of late '80s with Dragnet, and then we get the Adams Families, we get mm. Mission Impossible. This we have the Avengers, Charlie's Angels. It just kind of continues. The, the, the other Avengers, and, yeah, yeah, the non-Marvel Avengers. Yeah, uh, there's a ton of these, and they, yeah. well, they're already working on another spy, uh, Dexter Fletcher and Chris Pratt attached. That's bad casting, by the way. Yeah, Pratt's a terrible choice for that. For what? For another uh, the, the, the the Saint. Oh, really? Yeah, Dexter Fletcher. Uh, I like that choice. Yeah. I think Fletcher's a great choice. But you go Taron Edgerton. Obviously, yeah. they work together a ton, and he's great with dialect. Anyway, I, I think uh, Dalton, you brought up a good point as to why these kind of fail. Is as the structure that they all follow is very similar in this yeah, kind of backdoor a, piloty type. Yeah, this element. origin story thing. Yeah, yeah, which is a weird obsession uh, with this kind of not just superheroes, right? But yeah. all kind of like serialized narratives yeah there's this weird reluctance by studios to just be like yeah this is the dude and this is what he does they don't want to trust their audience who they're obviously targeting with a you know dragnet movie people who know dragnet know those characters or you know maybe not the avengers uh, unless you're british well this yeah well and i think maybe what that speaks to right is this attempt to four quadrant everything is to not go well we'll take the safe money and make it you know kind of cheap uh we won't you know bet the farm on it and we'll just kind of play to uh, people who liked it and people who are curious instead they got to play to everybody and yeah you're right it gets they they want to do weird nods to the source material but also be as divorced from the source material as possible especially with something like uh starsky and hutch right or yeah. brady bunch although you know i think those brady bunch movies are pretty funny yeah. from what i remember of them and so many of these are pretty poorly reviewed poorly received of, even the they good ones are not well received i mean i think usually. adam's family and the equalizer have been the two most successful probably charlie's angels is that the, the 99 charlie's angels yeah that was that one over really well i'm trying to yeah i'm trying to think there's again, they all got sequels they all have pretty good fan bases i think yeah. and but, like, not a new phenomenon this is yeah I, I think the 90s is a hotbed of it but yeah this yeah as a, just a forever Hollywood thing. You're right, but it's it's interesting to see those those peaks and flows of there'll be like one or two good ones that are like well received, make a good chunk of change, and that'll convince another twelve to get greenlit. Yeah, it's so weird. Like no matter how many times the idea loses money, somebody gets convinced that well maybe it's a safe bet. Yeah, because yeah, I'm trying to think of, I don't know, I get smart. How much money did that make? That can't have done well, right? I don't know. The, and but that's the the thing that's surprising. Some of these do do well yeah even yeah. the ones that are completely forgotten and they i mean they they load them with hot cast i mean get smart has steve carell uh, uh hathaway hathaway the, the rock in it a little bit yeah, yeah. Uh, arkin if that's what you're into yeah uh, we got uh the equalizer with uh denzel yeah, who's in that other than denzel chloe chloe Moretz, but i don't know yeah, nobody the audience for that movie is not Den- going for denzel. chloe yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah i guess movie nerds maybe denzel's a draw yeah Den- <laughs> you don't need anybody yeah. else if you got denzel exactly yeah. i don't know yeah it's a weird formula uh, I'm curious, uh, if, you know, what, what people think are the ones that are good. Yeah, it's weird. I watched Scooby Doo the other night, and that's another oh, one. God, you how know, that hold up. Well, you know, it's it's a fun family film. You know, I think at yeah. the end of the day, it, it, it's I think it's pretty sincere to the characters and the, the story. Well, and that's one that's such a pop cultural touchstone that they are comfortable just going, yeah, it's it's a Scooby gang. 
Yeah, there's a lot. It's a live action cartoon. There's a lot you can do with that. You know. Oh, you're talking about the new Scoob? No, I'm talking. You are talking about I the, said live action. Sorry, cartoon. yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the James Gunn one. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, Matthew Lillard is a perfect Shaggy in that. Yeah, place. oh yeah. my God, Lillard is. Oh, Keller's great. Uh, Carlini's great. So great. Prince Jr. Yeah. yeah, Linda Cardellini is national treasure. Uh, we don't need to talk about Linda Cardellini as Velma. Velma. Actually, we should just uh, go ahead and wrap this up and decide what we're going to do with this movie. I think. Uh, we, uh, found, we found a schoolgirl. Jinkies. Uh, <laughs> changing subjects. Well, jinkies. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm damn near flummoxed over here. I, I've lost my glasses, so let's find a verdict. Um, what do you say, Arthur? Uh, do you want to put this on the shelf or in the trash? I do not. Trash it, please. All right, what are you going to say, Dalton? I, yeah, I think our, our rambles throughout this episode telegraph it well enough. This is not a forgotten masterpiece or, you know, it's get out, get out of here. It's a trash, as for me as well. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts. Um, I hear we're going to do another movie, though. Well, Arthur. before that, i got to tell the listener how to give us their thoughts. Dustin, uh, you can send us your long-form feedback at good to good trash. Genrecast at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at good underscore trash. That's where you can find movie news. We find interesting um, Arthur's musings about film uh, posts for other shows on this network. That's right. It's not just the Good Trash Genrecast. There's all kinds of uh, people we're friends with that make podcasts and, uh, you know, ask us to help and we're bad and we do what we can. Uh, that's The Wheel of Randy, a great new one with Dan Wade. You got The Praise Down with Heath and Alex. Uh, and then, you know, if you want to go to goodtrashmedia.com, you can find all the other stuff uh, that's been made and we've helped make uh, written stuff. It's all it's all there. Uh, finally, if you want to help us keep the lights on, you go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, there's all kinds of fun stuff. You can listen to Dustin and Arthur and I play Monster of the Week, which is a great, great time. We're having a ton of fun with it. Uh, you give us enough money, we'll send you some movies. you got a survey you can fill out. Tell us a little bit about who you like, what you like, and we'll pick a Blu-ray out for you. That's a fun thing that can happen if you want to go give us some money. If you give us some money, we can give other podcasts more money. It's a whole money thing. I hate it. I'm done talking about this. It makes me feel icky. All right, well, let's do another movie. What do you want to do? Well, next week, uh, we are celebrating eight years at the genre cast, and it's only appropriate that our first episode was a siege film, so we're going to tackle another siege film as we take a look at Anton Fuqua's Olympus Has Fallen. I'm trying so hard not to call it White House Down. It's so difficult not to call it White House it's Down. It's so hard, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's over there on the Netflix. If you want to watch that and the third entry in the franchise, the sequel's not streaming there anymore. Oh, but, number two's not there. Yeah, it's weird. So if you're a completionist, I'm sorry. Uh, but you can watch that, watch along, and join us for our conversation next time. Sounds good. So you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.